What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. I hope you're having an incredible day, and I'm really excited to share this interview with Stephen Thomas, who is a husband material coach. He coaches men through all kinds of porn addiction, but a unique part of his work is that he has overcome same-sex attraction. And you might be wondering, well, what do I mean by that? Does that mean that he's just learned to deal with it? Does it mean he doesn't have it anymore? Or what does that actually look like? We're going to get into all of that in this interview. But the reason I brought him on is because we have had an influx of people who are dealing with SSA over the last, I would say, six to eight months. And just to be frank, I feel totally unqualified to deal with it myself. I don't have an experience. I am beginning to understand the experience better just through stories and some research. But I wanted to bring Stephen on just to, to give a perspective from somebody who's actually been there and done that. So the amazing thing about this guy is he has been free from porn for over 13 years. He's happily married. He has kids. And part of his story involves overcoming, like I mentioned, same-sex attraction, but low self-esteem, anxiety, and a broken marriage as well. And it is just amazing to see what God's done in him and the kind of stability that he has in his life now. And it's very evident that, you know, God's at work and that he's got a lot to offer people. So this was a really fun interview for me. I learned a lot. Uh, pretty much every guest that we have, I come in with a notepad and I'm taking notes. And this was no exception. I was really coming in as a learner and I certainly grew a lot. So if you don't have same-sex attraction yourself, I think this would be worth listening to just because you are going to learn about what that experience is like. And the reality is, guys, this experience is much more prevalent than you think, both inside the church and outside the church. And you're going to hear in Stephen's story, he was well-churched, you know, grew up in a very spiritual home. So it wasn't a lack of that uh, that gave cause to the same-sex attraction. There were other factors at play. And um, as we jump in, I think you're going to find it informative. But for somebody who is struggling with SSA, you got to listen to this because it, it just, he, he breaks down a lot of myths about same-sex attraction and he really is setting a model of what life can look like when you heal and, and let God do his work in your heart and in your life. So I think you're going to be inspired. I hope you're going to get some clarity on what you can expect and some inspiration to keep fighting the fight and to further yourself down that recovery journey. Without further ado, this is my interview with Stephen Thomas. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose, supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Stephen Thomas is on the podcast today, another member of the Husband Material community, not just a member, but you're a certified coach, and it's so good to have you here, bro. Welcome. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad we've connected. I, I mean, I love connecting with people in this space in general, but anybody from the Husband Material community is by default a friend of mine, and it's been <laughs> so fun getting to know you, man, just hearing your story. Uh, Drew, I had Drew on the podcast not too long ago, actually, and we were talking about you afterwards and just marveling at how long it's been uh, since you were in the lifestyle that you've come out of and the level of freedom you're walking in and what you're able to impart to guys now is incredible. He was raving about you and uh, I've loved connecting with you and hearing your story. And as, I, as we got into it, I was like, dude, my audience needs to hear this. Uh, a lot of guys coming into our, our sphere of influence, whether it's the podcast here, our mailing list, or specifically the Deep Clean community that are struggling with SSA and all the many questions that come along with it theologically and just experientially yeah. in day-to-day -day life. So I'm really excited to dive in, man. Yeah, no, thank you. Wow. That was, uh, it's really fun when you hear that other people are having a conversation about you. That's so yeah. good. <laughs> but I, I enjoyed hearing that. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, man. No problem. So uh, a great starting point for this is definitely going to be just to hear a little bit about your story, which is absolutely yeah. wild. Uh, lay it on us, man. How did you, how did you get into this realm and uh, what's the story behind it all? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the best thing to know is, you know, my upbringing and what it was like, which was I actually grew up in a Christian family. Um, my family was sort of the partridge family of our church. Like it was a small Christian church and we were the worship team. And, um, so God was alive in our family. It was a, it was an active part of how we did life. Um, 
at the same time, there were some issues. Uh, my parents had some financial problems and it pulled my mom away to work. And I'm the youngest of four kids. And what that meant was um, there was lots of times where it was us and there wouldn't be a parent around. Now, my sisters are like 10 years older than me. So I might be six or seven with a 16 year old, but like still they're not, it's different um, when a 16 year old's watching, you know, a kid for a long period of time than when you actually have a parent involved. Oh, yeah, right. For sure. So, yeah. So um, what that equated to was I was able to have a lot of alone time as a kid and um, we had a TV in the house and, um, from a year, a very early age, I remember um, actually believing that I was perverted just because I think I was introduced to sexual sexuality and sexual concepts through watching TV and not really having a parent to monitor what I was watching. Mm -hmm. And um, and that kind of groomed me because at age seven, I was offered porn by a neighbor and I said yes. And I felt very guilty. I felt very ashamed, ashamed about it when I did it. Um, but, and I should say I hid cause I was carrying all that. Um, I think because of my parents' financial problems and even the stress that put on their marriage, um, for whatever reason, they didn't like notice, Hey, or so there's something off about our kid and then really pursue it with me in a way that, you know, I was found and able to walk through this with a parent. And that's a really important part because, mm -hmm. you know, family is so important to God. He places the lonely in a family. I think God represents who he is to us or his design is to represent who he is to us through family. And um, so there was just, even though we loved the Lord, even though we were serving God, there were some other issues that they hadn't dealt with. And I reap some of the benefits of that. Right. Yeah. So um, negative benefits of that. And um, so um, I think another kind of important piece here is as the youngest, um, one thing I've learned as a parent of three is how it's important to create situations where your kid can thrive um, because at an early age, it really is about building up their identity and their confidence. Mm -hmm. So without a parent there to do that for me, I'm the youngest. Sports was a big deal to us, but like if we're outside playing with a group of kids, I'm the littlest. So I'm always like in last place and I didn't like it, you know, or yeah, right. um, there's nobody to parent and be like, hey, are we being nice to each other? So there were negative experiences and that caused me at an early age to withdraw from social interactions and TV was my comfort. Interesting. I just want to pause you there for a second. It's really interesting to me because I think uh, an oldest child who maybe gets like just smothered by their parents and you yeah. know, overprotected, overdisciplined and whatever is like, man, the youngest kid, they just got it made. You know, they do what they want. The parents don't care. But it's really interesting to hear like the actual reality of it, which is while it, I'm sure there's a degree of it where it's nice to have some freedom from a young age, you're also not getting parented. Like you have that that vacancy there. Uh, that's really powerful, man. Th thanks for sharing. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just thought that was a really interesting no, angle there. Yeah, no, it's important because here's the thing. Um, what happens is when we're not parented is we're actually experiencing neglect. And I call it, you know, the kind of the normal neglects. Like a lot of guys come to us from Christian backgrounds and like, I didn't, I wasn't beat up by my parents. I wasn't sexually abused. What I you know, I don't know what was wrong, but it could just be you weren't emotionally engaged with, you weren't played with, you weren't given that safe space to grow up. You know, there could be all these things that to us were just not aware of. They're blind mm -hmm. spots to us because they were our normal. Yep. And um, so all that is to say, um, all that is to say that the problem is when we experience that neglect, it, it actually communicates to us that like, in an unspoken way that you should be able to figure this out on your own as a kid. So like if your parent isn't talking to you about sexual sexuality on the regular, that kind of communicates to us. I should be able to figure out sexuality on my own. I should just know how right. to do this. It told me it's right and wrong. So then, I mean, from a kid's perspective, if they get exposed and then they start failing, like it's basically giving the keys of a car to a kid and expecting them not to crash it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're not going to parent them in this area, so, but what happens is, is the kid will process it. Like there's something wrong with me. It becomes a shame statement. Like the, I, I was supposed to figure this out on my own. I know what's right and wrong and I'm not doing it right. Something's wrong with me. So I believed I was a pervert. I believed all the, it, it really broke down my identity and really broke down um, my, my beliefs about myself. I was very, I became very insecure. Um, yeah. So I just think that's a really important point that, I, I want to help people recognize um, 
if you're struggling with beating yourself up about things, you might have been carrying and processing life like that for a long time. And there's probably yeah. some neglect there. So yeah, really powerful, man. Yeah. So the next piece of the story that's significant is um, in third grade, I switched schools and I went to a small Christian big class. First off, I'll say before school started, we started soccer practice and I was really excited because sports was a big part of my family culture. I grew up in Chicago during the Jordan era, you know, and my wow. dad is six foot four. Like I was, my dream was to become a professional basketball player. I, I was so excited to get to participate in competitive sports. Um, and I knew the school, like um, it was a kindergarten through eighth grade school because it was so small. They'd like have third graders on the same team as the eighth graders. And so I just get the chance to participate, you know? So my welcome into this school uh, was going to the first soccer practice and the actual welcoming experience was the coach pulling me and acknowledging that I was, I potentially was the shortest person there as a third grader. And he pulls up another kid in my class and had us measure to see who's the shortest. And congratulations, you win, Steven, you're the shortest now. And I was really embarrassed. I was really, it, uh, it's funny, it wasn't like he was trying to be mean, but I, I was very embarrassed about it. And, um, and then the other thing is now I'm um, at the soccer practice and I'm playing alongside other eighth graders and stuff like that who are much more developed than a third grader. And I was, you know, less developed. And here's the other weird thing about my school experience is several of the boys in my class had been held back already and were already a year older than me. Huh. Um, yeah, yeah, like like three to four of the five or six boys in my class had that experience. So oh. um, so I had that where I just wasn't keeping up. So it was a really like kind of humiliating experience. It, again, it wasn't like a safe space for me to thrive. And it just further added to an identity issue that was coming in, believing that I sucked and that I was less athletic, which was really important to me. That was my measurement of being a man at the time. because It was such a, you know, big deal to me, you know, and, mm. um, you know, it, it just brought in all these negative belief systems. And, um, and also when you go to a new school, you're looking to make new friends. Right. So, um, the kid that he brought over to measure with me, I was like, oh, at least I have somebody to talk to who's my age. I'm imagining he's going to want to be friends. I'm excited about this. So I'm like kind of following him around. And, and there's a point where he turns at me and he just looks at me that on that first day, he's like, why are you following me? And he, then he walks away. And I just felt so much shame again in that moment. Like, oh, I guess I did something wrong here. I, I guess I'm not supposed to follow people around. Like, I just wanted a friend, which is very normal for a kid. Sure. And um, he just kind of cut me down in that moment and, uh, it was really painful. So, um, all that's to say, like, these are some, like the core moments that really cut at my identity and I never really walked them out and process them with my parents. Um, and I say that again, um, I'm hitting really hard on this topic of the significance of parenting and parent, like, and what it does to our identity, because, you know, like if a kid comes to you. Like if my son comes to me and has a conflict with another kid or maybe scrapes their knee in the playground, they come to you and you just be like, oh, you're right. You know, and you work with them through it and you take care of it. You you encourage them or or just right. sit with them in the pain. And if you have to go address something, you do it with them. But then there's a point where once it's once they feel safe again, they just kind of like breathe like ah, and then they're off running and playing again, mm. maybe even with the kid they had the conflict with. Right. You know. And, um, but when it's not dealt with, we just carry it. We just mm -hmm. carry that pain. And this to me added, um, I'll just say that third grade experience where he said, why are you following me? It kind of defined a lot of what my school experience there was from third through eighth grade. Um, and I medicated that time with lots and lots of porn. Um, so the way I was finding porn again was through TV. This was back in the early nineties. We had a cable, there was a cable box back then and there was always like a porn channel that would be kind of scrambled and, but you could still see stuff. You could still see parts and I'd watch it. And then I got smart and learned how to manipulate the TV to try to like make it a little more clear. And in those summers where my mom's away from work and my siblings are playing outside, I just stayed inside and watched hours and hours of porn. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so how, how old are you at this point? At this point, this is um, kind of my fourth through seventh or eighth grade experience. Got it. 
Okay, got it. And what, what, what happens as things start to kind of develop here into teenagehood? What, what starts to take place? Yeah. So um, there was a point then I made a friend when I was in seventh grade um, whose parents weren't home after school. We would go to his house and now the internet is around. And he also had, they had a, an ability to completely unscrabble the cable channels. There was everybody back then had this like black box thing. And it was this illegal device that would unscramble the channels that you didn't pay I, for. I vaguely uh, remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was and a little bit before my time, but I do remember it. <laughs> it, it it's really funny because like, even though this was a Christian school, like everybody had this thing. So we'd go over and we just would go to his house and watch porn while his parents were there. And so again, you know, it's like a kind of a level up, right? Because now I'm seeing clear porn on the regular and now it's action instead of stills. And, yeah. um, and what happened was there was a moment where I noticed my attention um, became focused on the guy. And some of this happened um, out of curiosity because the porn we were watching, um, they didn't really show the guy's parts. And I was very interested in like wanting to see the actual intercourse. I wanted to see a penis inserting into a vagina. And like, you know, that's where I was. I always had this curiosity. So it kind of brought my attention there. But then there was also something that like, I recognize now, like seeing these guys who are physically fit and um, you know, who are in porn, it, it was like, there's something different than me. I didn't believe I was capable of being that guy, like being the guy that is wanted by girls, being the guy that is, that is actually like has a good body. And, um, and I remember feeling sexual arousal. I was already sexually aroused, you know? And so it's confusing because you're feeling sexual arousal and your attention's here. And I remember immediately believing, oh no, I just made myself gay. And, um, and from then my struggle became like specifically with gay porn and um, it was all focused on men uh, for the next, at least 12 years, maybe 12. Yeah, I think 12 years, actually. So, wow. So a pretty yeah. defining moment. Well, I'll just say, um, so in that season, um, I'll say it's at age 16, I had my first real breakthrough. Um, I, my brother had gone on a mission trip, kind of came back on fire for God. And, uh, and in that, I just confessed it to him and this other person, this other girl that was there and they prayed for me. And in that place of just opening up about something that I had been hiding, for years and years, um, I experienced about six months of sobriety. And that was the first time I tasted sobriety in my life. Wow. And um, that was sobriety specifically from viewing pornography? Yeah. From yeah. viewing porn. And, um, you know, I was on fire for God. And I'm like, I'm going to start sharing my testimony. And um, my parents kind of knew. They, I think I confessed to them, too. And they're like, all right, let's hold our horses a bit. Like, they're a little nervous about, you know, seeing, like, you know how it is. <laughs> like, when you have the guy who's, like, three weeks free from four and like i'm totally free now We're like that's awesome let's let's you know yes. you just kind of know we need some more time here to really 100 percent. yes <laughs> and yes. also the topic of same-sex attraction is sensitive especially in the 90s it's become maybe a little less sensitive over over time but it was more sensitive then sure. um and um so um so yeah uh, then i had a relapse six months in and I was so ashamed of it. And also I was at a Christian school again, that was actually, um, I, I was worship leading there and I was kind of being looked up to as a spiritual leader. Cause I was on fire and I was so happy that I was free from porn and I was pretty influential at that. Now I had like this influence at the school and I just had all the shame about the fact that I relapsed. So I hit again hmm. and I didn't like, I didn't stay in the light about it. And, um, and that, it, you know, it just got worse. The I went back to using gay porn. Um, I went to a school of ministry. I had a great year there, but I still had this issue going on. When I left the school of ministry, it turned into hooking up with guys that I'd meet online. So, wow. I mean, that was really where things got at their worst. And um, I had, uh, I'll say this, like God pursued me in the midst of this. Like my... Um, when I was living at home, like if I was like trying to sneak out to do, to like maybe go to a porn shop or something like that, my mom would have a dream or she's like, I just couldn't fall asleep. And she's like, are you doing okay? I had a dream about you. And I'm like, I gotta move out of this house. You know, that's what I was thinking at the time, you know? Yeah. And, um, but they caught wind of it and um, they threw some dreams that God gave them. I mean, I was praying that God would help me out and this was how he helped me out. And then wow. he would, 
confront me and I would kind of run from it, but he kind of was like, Hey, you've been asking for this. So, um, I'll corner you for you. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't really escape this. Yeah, and wow. I, I, and I was just given an invitation. Um, I, I will, I'll say this. My parents put me in some therapy. I was at the time Exodus International was a big ministry for helping guys who were struggling with same sex attraction. And, um, it actually, it wasn't that great. We didn't have a leader. We didn't have anybody who was free. And, uh, but just talking about it helped. And, you know, the therapist I had was okay, it, but I didn't really experience much. So my brother ended up having a dream and um, I had confessed to him when I was 16. Right. And, but then I hid when I relapsed and never talked to him again about it. And, um, <clears throat> but he had a dream in that season because i was getting frustrated too i should say about the fact that like i was trying some therapy i was in these groups and nothing was changing and i didn't believe that i was capable of the change because i knew that changing meant that i need to make a good decision like i will one at one point need to make the decision to not use porn and i don't believe in my capability to do that hmm. and um but he had a dream and he said, Hey, last we talked, I knew you were doing really well, really well in this area, but I, I had this dream and I wanted to see how you're doing. And um, I used that opportunity to open up to him and to confess everything again. And, um, and I used that as an opportunity to step out of hiddenness and he became my accountability partner in that season. And wow. The reason why that's important is I, you know, you recently posted on socials about how a single confession, like, isn't actually the answer. And what I learned was it's not a single confession. Like I had to continuously confess and stay open, which is actually vulnerability. Vulnerability is the answer. Right. So, yes. So, um, we, yeah. And for me, vulnerability was being honest that like, I'm not making good decisions. I needed some safeguards on my computer. Um, I once threw away a computer because, <laughs> um, like, I put I, I set up safeguards on my new computer, and I realized I had this old dinosaur of a computer, and pulled it out, and like I just have to throw this away, um, things like that, yeah. and um, and then getting really specific when confessing to my brother, like not just saying I use porn, but I felt like I needed to unload, like I couldn't carry with me the things that I would like even look at, like I needed to be specific. Like I looked at this and masturbated to this specific image yeah. and really unload wow. that the shame that I was carrying. It felt like it was like sticking to me and I had to unload it in that place and be pray, have him pray with me. So in that season, I noticed at, at that time, I just wanted the relapse of hooking up with men to, to stop. And I noticed time increase begin to increase between those kinds of relapses. And in that season, I began, um, I met who's now my wife and um, I was attracted to her and um, I was an engineer and anybody who's gone through engineering knows that you just kind of have to be a nerd to succeed. Like there's no time for social life, <laughs> at least for me, there wasn't. Okay. <laughs> and um, so we became friends and at that time, and but I knew I was like into her and, um, and then I actually graduated college and I, I just knew I wanted to ask her out. And she said yes. And um, we went on a date. And after that date, I called my brother. She told her mom. We were both like, we think this is the one. And, like, the fact that I was feeling all this attraction towards her and the fact that, you know, I mean, it's not just even, like, physical attraction. I, I, I just loved who she was. Um, all the vision started coming back to me. Like I'd always wanted to be a dad. I always wanted to be a father and a husband, um, you know, and I was worried that I had lost the ability to do that because of what I had done to myself mm. um, sexually. And, um, but the fact that now there was a vision here for that, like it, to me, it really makes a lot of that verse, you know, without vision, the people perish. That sometimes translates without vision, people cast off restraint. Yes. So now I had vision for, marriage, all these things I really dreamed of. And I had the ability to restrain myself all of a sudden. Mm. And, um, and I had a real conviction. Um, I'll say this. I told her very early on, cause we knew early on that, um, like, Hey, this is the right person. This is the person we believe God wants us to marry. And I just knew she needed to know my story and she needed to be aware of what she was getting involved with. You know, I didn't want to like on the, the night before the wedding, Hey, guess mm -hmm. what? You know, yeah. Um, or years in the marriage do that. So I told her everything. 
Um, and then six weeks into dating her, I had a relapse and I confessed it to her, uh, relapse of using porn. Okay. And I confessed it to her and, um, and I, she cried and she let me know how it impacted her. And I said words I couldn't believe I was saying, which was, I will never do that again. And, um, and I actually haven't. And that was over 13 years ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So like, we both know that just because you get married, it doesn't fix things. We both know that, right? But I'll say this. She was very clear with me about what her grace was for. Like, she's like, I don't have grace if you're going to be using porn. I don't have grace for you to be using gay porn. I don't have grace for, like, like this ha this can't happen. Mm -hmm. So I had a real conviction. I will lose her, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I say that because, you know, sometimes I, I work with couples. I do couples coaching also. And I tell um, – I tell the wives, like, be honest about how it's impacting you. Do not brush it under the rug. Like, those consequences are a gift. They are a gift to him. Yeah. Um, so they're natural consequences of how they're impacting you, you know? So it's really powerful. And I always tell guys this, too, like, because I think male brain likes to introduce artificial consequences. Like, if I watch porn, I have to give money to a charity I don't support. Or, you know, like, we come with all these ridiculous kind of artificial ways to punish ourselves. But you're right. There's actually nothing more impactful than natural that's consequences really that's rare. really where the money is that's where the impact is and and that only happens by the vulnerability so it's cool that you had the wherewithal to be vulnerable but then too that she was actually honest with you and obviously the fruit of it is incredible 13 years of freedom man that's yeah. that's nuts and yeah and she's been continued she continued to be honest with me about like things that she had checks about like i'm not comfortable with this and even if i was like oh i'm not doing this from a good place like there's things that i laid down because like she had a check about i honored where she was at and met her there um i mean mm. honestly for the first few years of marriage like we don't really watch disney and that was it because i was honest like i used to always rent movies and see how much nudity there was and go get that movie so i like just watched movies through a sexual lens you know yeah so yeah. like and she's like i'm it's so uncomfortable for me to be able to to think about that so like we needed space from it you know and just honoring that and yep. that gave my brain some time to rewire on that on that type of stuff like i can watch unanimated tv shows and, and it's fine <laughs> um so um that was how i began to experience sobriety um I will say, like, you wanted to talk about, like, what it's been like, you know, navigating marriage as having that as my background. And yeah, um, let's let's pause there. Can I pause there just for a yeah. second? Because I, I do. I really want to get there. But, dude, your story has so many juicy parts of it that <laughs> yeah. um, I want to pull on a couple other elements first before we talk about the marriage bit. So one of the things that I that has just fascinated me is how your first exposure to porn, it wasn't gay porn, but there's kind of this interest in the, the guy. And the interesting thing to me is that if you look at the research of it, I was actually reading this in a book by, um, I think it was actually Dr. Aaron Spitz who's talking about this. He's one of the world's leading urologists. But he talked about how um, they studied where people's eyes are the most drawn to when they're watching pornography. And it's primarily two places. It's the man and then it's, um, it's the end. Those are the two parts that are the most visualizing. Sorry, when I say the end, I mean the woman's face. That's, that's what they're most obsessed with the, the man's body and the woman's face that's what they watch the most interesting and it's really it, yeah it is really interesting because i would i would venture a guess that the average viewer is probably watching or paying attention to some of the same things even you were paying attention yes. to that wasn't the problem the problem was the conclusions that you drew about yourself from what you were watching right like oh i must be gay if i have this kind of interest and i i think that's really powerful because it that sort of set the course as we said it was a defining moment and it's amazing just to me how much of it has to do with your perception more than the facts of the experience, so to speak. I, I don't know. Does, does that make sense? Could you comment on that? Any thoughts? Yes. Thank you for pausing and making us go back to this because this was that story I wanted to come back to um, that I mentioned earlier. Um, you're absolutely right. It's funny. I once talked to a friend of mine who you know, was struggling with porn, who didn't struggle with same-sex attraction, and he knew about my struggle. And I said, like, like, would you ever watch porn that had like, you know, an out of shape man in it? He's like, no, it would be a major turnoff, even though he doesn't struggle with same sex attraction. So it kind of feeds right. this idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, So um, my point of saying that is um, 
I don't know if you know, follow Chris Valentin and Jay Valentin, but they have a really powerful yes. story because Jay, uh, and they've been open about this, but Jay has a story about how um, he was using porn and um, he ended up experimenting around like age 13 or 14, 15, somewhere in that range with a male friend. And his father noticed that something was off with him and he pursued him and, you know, kind of cornered him. Hey man, like, I love you. We're, we have a connection. Like what is going on? And he breaks down in tears and said, dad, I've been like sexually experimenting with my friend and or he didn't say experimenting. I've been having sex with my friend and, um, and I've enjoyed it. And he's like, in so much shame. And his dad was able to say to him, dude, you're fine. No, you're not gay. You're there's nothing wrong with you. You're just a super teenager. Like your, your body's made to get aroused. <laughs> like, but and the thing is, is like that a parent is a voice of authority to a child. So yes. if I had a, and also I just saw this research that came out, came out saying the number one thing that keeps um, adolescents out of high risk behavior is a close relationship to a parent or adult. So imagine being wow. able to navigate that season with a parent. It helped me like repair my identity, hearing that story, knowing like if I had that voice in my life, tell me that because the kid who bullied me, in third grade, I actually ended up sexually, um, ended up engaging in sexual activity with him um, when I was in like eighth grade, when we were further along developed. Um, and there's a whole lot there, right? The fact that it was him specifically, he was rejecting me. Now I'm getting accepted like in the most intimate way. I, I, I also blame my body because I was weaker than everyone, right? But now my body's being invited in. Uh, so I, I felt pushed away and I'm invited into the closest intimate spot, right? And hmm, so there was a big like, right. hit there that why that was a draw for me. And um, but being able to have, you know, a father step in as a voice of authority, like, dude, no, that's just not how we use our sexuality. You know, you will get sexually aroused to crazy things. You're hormonal right now. Just being able to bring that peace. And he said that as he said that, um, I'm sorry, as Chris said that to his son, Jay, like he could see all that shame, you know, fall off of him. And um, so powerful. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it really is like, I think the broken identity I carried in the, in this whole having to figure it all out on my own thing that was going on allowed me to come to immature conclusions about myself with nobody to help yep. me and correct that for me. And I'm like, dang. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's I mean, it's wild. Yeah. Cause, and obviously you can reflect and just imagine what the presence of a parent might've done for you in some of those moments, but, um, but it, it's really, really profound. Um, the other thing that, uh, that I guess just struck me is like, you grew up churched. So this, this is not like, this is not unique to any particular set of environmental circumstances. This is really happening all across the board. And I think it, um, it's, it's neat to see, I guess, just the way you've grown out of it. So that's kind of where I wanted to go is when you, when you were starting to, um, fall in love with the, the woman who is now your wife, what, what was that like? Cause, uh, presumably like you were in, were you in a gay lifestyle when you met her or ha yeah. had you bro broken out at that point? What did that part look like? Yeah. So I never embraced gay as an identity and I'm really grateful. I didn't, I personally, hmm. I know there's lots of conversations in the Christian world about this, but there's, um, I do not like embrace the concept of gay Christian or, or whatever, or like, I mean, I, I haven't read it. I've heard there's a book that talks about like how SSA has been a blessing to them. And like, I think God really didn't want you to have to go through that. <laughs> you know, that's kind of my mm, opinion. Yeah. And um, yeah. so here's the thing, like these wounds, the, these broken identities started at a young age for me. So, um, so anytime like something challenged me as I'm growing up and made me feel less as a man, it's like that little boy is still there being like, am I good enough? Am I, am I, Am I weak? Am I being found out that I'm, you know, not good as a man, not good as a boy? And so my issue is, is if you are struggling with same-sex attraction and you are that, like calling yourself, um, yeah, I am gay or yeah, I am SSA. My issue with that is simply that, you know, in the story I shared about Chris Valentin being saying to us, no, you're not gay. Like you now are being that parent to yourself because you have this little kid in you and you're speaking over yourself and telling him like that, hmm. that no, yeah, you are gay. The, if, 
if you pictured like a little boy or a teenage boy who was wrestling with this and some adult comes to him and be like, no, you are gay. You are. You'd want to go beat that guy up. Like, Get away from my kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So don't be that guy to yeah. yourself. Right. That's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So and the other thing that you're touching on, which is really important, is just because your body experiences arousal yes. to something totally. doesn't mean that you're attracted to it or, or it doesn't mean that like that's your orientation. Right. And yes. I think that's a really powerful thing as well. Yes. Um, and we don't we have to go too far into that. But I, I do like that you're hitting on that. I think it's really, really important. So I guess by the time you've met your wife, then uh, had you kind of left those elements behind what kind of state were you in and i guess the, the 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 question i actually want to ask you is was there ever a point where you were uh finding yourself attracted to men and to women at the same time that's what i'm really curious yeah. about no that's a really good question so here's the thing the way i kind of navigated the beginning because the truth is i entered into a relationship with my wife and like my most recent relapse was not that far behind me and um okay. so like I was able to embrace that. No, I know I'm attracted to her. I know I, I want her. And I was experiencing like, you know, a pull or whatever. And I was able to be like, no, I know that's not what I want. It's still happening. Like I, I was like convinced, um, even though I was still kind of fighting all that stuff, all the like familiar ways of processing how to relate to guys. Mm. And um, so I feel like something actually, what I really have loved about joining husband material is they, I love the approach because they really, um, there is a way I believe that I've seen like attraction shift, which has been um, the first thing to do is when you experience some kind of unwanted sexual attraction is, you know, we want to white knuckle it because we feel shame. I just wish this wasn't here. Like there's a part I can connect with shame sharing all this with you. And the fact like, I would love it if this wasn't my story, <laughs> honestly, um, but I'm yeah. going to weaponize it. It happened and Satan's going to pay. So, um, yeah, um, exactly. With that said, um, acknowledging, hey, this is happening so that you can begin to enter into compassion. Like, oh, it makes sense, Stephen. I'm so sorry. I, I'll talk to myself. I'll, I'll talk to that young kid who, like, I can still relate to the feelings of being like, you know, right now I feel emasculated. I don't feel like I'm good enough as a guy, you know? And so if something comes up that I don't want, I'll just talk to him and be like, dude, I'm so sorry. It makes sense that you struggle with that. You didn't have anybody walking with you. You had all these experiences. I just validate my story and, um, mm. and let him know like, dude, you're fine. You're normal. It's okay that this is happening, like that you're experiencing this unwanted pull. And what I'm doing in that moment is I'm allowing myself to experience goodness and kind of like the kid that gets the hug. It, I find things fly away. And, um, and then there's some moments too where like if I can connect, if I, I've taken the time to do the work to understand my story a lot and understand like mm -hmm. really key defining moments. And I've allowed myself to um, like a practice I use with my clients a lot is what I call reparenting, which is essentially imagining what it would have been like to get what you wanted. And I think some people might freak out by the word imagine because like, we're just going to pretend now, but you know, I think it's a form of meditating on the nature of God. Cause you're, you're reflecting on, Hey, mm. you needed God's masculine heart to show up as a father for you. And this is what that would have looked like. And we're doing that to help you tear away from the negative identities you carry about the self yourself and see yourself as really made as a capable child of God. He does not make crap. He, he knows what he's doing. You are a man. You know, and I really own that. I really own my confidence as a man. So my point is, is that your brain has old patterns. Sometimes thoughts will come. Like now I'm at a point if there's an unwanted sexual pull, especially if it's, if I can feel it towards a man. One, if I feel that, it's not very strong. So let me just interject there for a minute. I think that's, that's really powerful because to me, like the people I've spoken with who have been able to work through SSA successfully, I think they probably have the best understanding that you are not what you think. And thank you for just sharing that, that like, sure, those thoughts are going to come, but you're, you're just being, being conscious. You're just being aware that those thoughts are there and now you have a way to kind of handle them. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to highlight that. C continue though, man. What, what do you do from there? With regards to, oh, you know, maybe some people are going to feel discouraged to think that, oh, thoughts might happen still. Um, first off, like, I like to tell people, you know, the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence. That mm -hmm. doesn't have an end date. 
You know, like, it's not like you go to the gym, get physically healthy, work out, and then stop going to the gym and then expect to not be unhealthy. You, you know what I mean? Or expect to remain healthy is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. so you're, the goal is to like, you take thoughts captive. The truth is, is because I have such a history and I know my story so well. And I've like, I've gone to those painful places and allowed myself to experience confidence in those places by reparenting myself. Um, that those thoughts, they're not scary. It's not like when I'm saying thoughts, I'm not saying, oh, I'm struggling with lusting over other people. It's just like, mm. yeah, I, like my brain went for a quick sexual thought or like, yeah, I can feel some kind of pull there. So I'm going to pay attention to that because um, it, especially if I feel like something that feels like it's tugging on me a little bit, like some thoughts you can just toss off and it's easy. And if something feels like it's lingering, it's like, all right, I'm going to spend more time with the kid that I find in the story that needs some help just to know, like, dude, you're good. Like, you know, and I'm going to yeah. understand that and I'm going to love him really well. And I'm going to like really understand why this specific thought is triggering for him and help him make sense of it. That's really good, man. Really yeah. good. One thing that I know is going to be, I think, inspiring about your story to the people who are listening is the fact that you're married. Yeah. So a lot of people with SSA, especially if you grow up in a Christian context where the design of marriage is between man and a woman, yeah. people conclude, okay, I have same-sex attraction. They try the filters. Maybe they even try a bit of confession or they try some things, but it's not going away. You know, they're not getting the deliverance and the breakthrough they need. So they just conclude, well, if I want to honor God's design for marriage, I will nobly not get married. You know, I, I won't act on the SSA. I, I've heard that a lot and I, I certainly push back on it. I have a different vantage point and I imagine you would as well. What would you say to somebody like that who, who maybe is in that place and just feels like the only way they could reconcile SSA is by not getting married? I, I would say that sometimes, um, sometimes we're afraid to venture into like a big thing like okay like i'm gonna try to you know grow my attraction for my for a woman or i'm gonna try to actually see if i can um make the same sex attraction diminish like don't don't set don't avoid setting a goal like that from yourself because of fear of failing like for me i think that was always a big key like um one time my wife she was having a check that you know i was still having dreams and I was like, I can't control my dreams. And I'm not doing, like, I was searching. I'm like, I'm not feeding sexuality in my life at all, you know? But mm. I was still having sexual dreams. And I, um, but I submitted to her and I said, um, and, like, but I was scared. I said, I'm afraid of failing. I just owned it. I'm afraid of failing. You know, she's like, I just need mm. you to be doing the work, really, you know? And, um, hmm. and the truth is, is when I embraced it, and just treated them like I would any other like random sexual thought that I don't want and be like, okay, like find my story, find how it could be feeding into that. I've seen um, them decrease, you know, like I've seen, that's yeah. why I say like, I've experienced, like there are legitimate things that I used to be attracted to that I'm not. Um, the idea of like using porn even like is there's no pull there for me, honestly. So, um, yeah. so there, I'm going to continue to keep my heart with all diligence and I'm going to celebrate everything that I have that moment being like, gosh, like there really is no pull for that anymore. And I've seen that in same sex attraction polls. I've seen that in all kinds of stuff. So like, keep going. You know what I mean? I, that's yeah. what I would say. Like, do you want to be married? Like, was that ever a dream for you? Like, don't rob yourself of that. Yeah, it's really good. And I think one of the things that we can learn from your story as well is how great it is to have a strong woman, you know, <laughs> like right. a woman who laid down the law early on that was like, hey, if this is in your life, just so you know, that's kind of a deal breaker for me, right? Yeah. And you get to kind of make your decision based on that. Yes. And obviously somebody who is in tune with the Holy Spirit, like you're saying she's getting this checks and I'm, I'm assuming what you mean is she's either hearing you say something or there's just a spiritual discernment of like, something feels off here. What is this all about? Really powerful and really um, necessary, you know, necessary for that healing journey. And I think for anybody who's listening, who's going, yeah, you know, I do want to, um, I do want to be in a relationship. I do want to be in a relationship. I, I, I do want to get over um, SSA and reach a point where I could get in a committed relationship. I think your story is a huge inspiration there. Um, I didn't expect to go here, Stephen, but it's just come up in the interview, and I want to ask you about it because I, I can't shake the underlying thread here of parenting throughout your story 
the absence of a parent um, or, or really, I guess, just yeah, I would say the absence of parents maybe when you were young that led to kind of this journey and then the healing journey, which of course is being reparented as you mentioned. And there's a, there's a component of, of us in our imagination, but I love what you're saying as well. It's really letting God, it's, it's godly imagination, isn't it? It's letting God be a part of that reparenting process to get the things we didn't need what we teach in our community as well is learning to release your parents from that role as a grown man and allowing God to take that place as your primary parent, so to speak, the person that you would be going to to get those needs met. But now you're a parent yourself and you have kids. How do you apply some of these concepts? Have, have you gone into parenthood with fear of like, oh my gosh, am I just going to mess up my kid because you know how powerful it can be? Or, you know, what's it been like just, I guess, working that out now on the other end as a father yourself? Um, first off, I love being a parent so much. <laughs> I love my kids so, so much. I love spending time with them. It's really been redemptive more than anything else. Um, cool. I, um, I don't feel like I have fear. Um, you know, we, we want to just correct the things that we, my wife and I didn't experience that we needed. And we want to, um, you want to do it in a way where you're being fun where you are following Holy spirit. So it's not like an overreaction, but you're just doing it right. Um, so like in sexuality, like there's some great books out there. Um, the story of me, I really love, but I mean, so my 10 year old and my seven year old know about sex. We've talked to it. We wanted to be the first ones to tell them about it. We want to do it in an appropriate way for where they're at. And it was an awesome yeah. conversation. Like it was like, it was like, Hey, yeah, guess what? Your sperm, the sperm that made you, built out like billions of other sperm like think of how significant you are you know so their first introduction <laughs> yeah. to sex is such a positive experience um you know like i love that. yeah and i think that's important because like i know like good picture bad picture is another really good book that's out there and um i just think it's really good to make the first conversation a positive one and not like hey this is what we need to be afraid of and not i don't think good picture bad picture does that but i just i'm saying like we this has been our approach to doing this and um I really create space. Like I've said no to job promotions because it was going to take me away from my family. I just care about my family so much. You know, it's like, I do not mm. want to sacrifice my family on the altar of um, climbing the corporate ladder of building this business of church and ministry. Like that's happened too much in the church, you know, and it's happened too much in the yeah. world. Um, you know, we dangle the dollar or we dangle the, the influence in front of us and we neglect our families. So, um, and it's great because like what I didn't, I'm not going to say I fully didn't experience this. Like we actually had some really good childhood memories as a family, but like just that of course. being in a family environment where you actually like, everyone likes being around each other and you guys play and you laugh and you have good conversations too. Like it's incredible. It's incredible. That's amazing, man. Yeah. I hope people can, can hear like the incredible man that God has made you to mm -hmm. be that you become, you've overcome so much. And it's not just that like, you're like, oh, okay, thank God I made it to the other side, but like you are thriving in your family. You have a coaching practice, helping other guys get free. And uh, it, just incredible the way you're able to share your story with such confidence. Like you don't stay free for 13 years without doing a couple things right, man. And I'm so glad that God has connected us. I'm so glad that you're helping other guys and for people who maybe are interested in finding out more about you, Stephen, uh, or maybe they do want to work with you or at least explore what that could look like, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so you could go to stephenthomasconsulting.com. Um, you can spell with a PH. Um, and then there's also, you can go to my Facebook business page, which is just facebook.com slash stephenthomasconsulting. Um, I offer individual coaching. I do couples coaching. And I do coaching in the context of a small group. And that's the partnership with husband material you were talking about. So that's where you can find Excellent. me. Excellent, man. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes. Stephen, thanks for your time today, man. And thanks for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for having me, Sophia. It's been great. Well, that was my interview with Stephen Thomas. And I hope you learned from, from it as much as I did. It was just, I was taking notes the whole time. He was awesome. And I, I think you can tell, like he's a humble, down-to-earth guy, very simple, but he gets it. He's been there. And not only has he been there, but he has made it to the other side. So if you are struggling with same-sex attraction or any of the issues that are sort of, I guess, associated with it, I highly recommend you reach out to him. You're going to get 
empathy, understanding, and some really good guidance from somebody who has been there, who's done that, and who has a proven record of helping other guys experience the same kind of freedom as well. And all, all of his links are in the show notes there. I encourage you to go check out his website especially. And if you maybe know that it's not just about same-sex attraction, but it's really about gain for your pornography and all sexual sin, and you're looking for some more guidance, you want some coaching, you're tired of doing it alone, you know that you can't just keep guessing, you actually need something that's proven, I want to encourage you to join our private Facebook community. It's called Deep Clean Inner Circle. There's no charge to you. You just have to fill out a couple questions because we do vet our applicants. But if you get in there, then that means you're going to get coaching from me. So you can ask questions that you have. You're going to get community with other guys who are pursuing freedom just like you. And you're going to get trainings from me on a regular basis, offering honestly some of our best tools and resources that are helping guys get free in our paid programs. So it's called Deep Clean Inner Circle. You can get it free of charge. You just have to click the link in the show notes or type in Deep Clean Inner Circle in the Facebook search bar. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope to see you there. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast, and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.